This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. Hello, you sexy sat stackers, and welcome to the latest episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. Today is Wednesday, December 6th. 2023 and of course that means it's dca wednesday before we get into that we have a lot to talk about today for example if you've been online at all you know bitcoin twitter was completely obsessed with well two big stories today first the rumors that cutter or qatar or however it's supposed to pronounce cutter nowadays i'm old enough that i remember when it was qatar and then it was cutter during the gulf war and i forget what it is officially now but the nation of cutter as uh, rumored to have considered or will be or is in the process of purchasing Bitcoin for its half a trillion dollar sovereign wealth fund. And that is potentially what has caused the spike in Bitcoin prices in the last several days. And of course, the other news out there was that everyone's favorite evil villain, Jamie Dimon, was testifying before the Senate Banking Committee today, uh, giving Elizabeth Warren exactly the kind of anti-Bitcoin red meat that she craves to feed her anti-crypto army. And I also want to talk about whether or not this time is different, or if maybe the 2020 cycle was the outlier. And of course, we're now less than 20,000 blocks away from the next Bitcoin halving, which will kick off that 2024 halving cycle and ultimately the next epic bull run. But before we get into all of that, let's take a quick look at the vital statistics. At the time of this recording, we are sitting at a block height of 820,075, and Bitcoin is ringing in at an astonishing 43,720 US dollars, or a rate of just 22, correction, 2,287 sats per dollar. And that is uh, dramatically higher than last DCA Wednesday when Bitcoin was sitting at $37,900. So I. Uh, Basically, a uh, what a almost a, almost a six thousand dollar pump. The price of Bitcoin earlier was actually over forty four thousand a couple of times during the day. So uh, it has definitely been on one heck of a tear in the last few days. But I digress. The current block height puts us nineteen thousand nine hundred and twenty five blocks away from the next Bitcoin miner reward having. As you know, the reward that miners get for finding the next Bitcoin block is cut in half every 210,000 blocks, which works out to almost every four years. And the next halving is scheduled to occur at block 840,000, which is looking like it's now going to take place on April 19th of 2024. That has been getting steadily earlier every, every couple of weeks. It looks like it slides up a day or two. Last week, it was looking like it was going to be on uh, 420. And now it's uh, looking like April 19th. Uh, either way, we won't know when that having occurs until it occurs because it is based on blocks and, you know, blocks come in whenever they come in. Obviously, the Bitcoin protocol aims for a new block to be found every 10 minutes, but sometimes it takes an hour and sometimes two blocks come in back to back. So uh, we won't really know. The last couple blocks before the having can drag on or they can just go boom, 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 and we can have the having. But either way, it's coming up sooner rather than later. And just like 
the uh, a few episodes we were saying before you know it it'll be Thanksgiving and before you know it it'll be Christmas. Well, we're we're just a couple weeks away from Christmas now. We're what it's December sixth, so less than twenty days, less than three weeks from Christmas, and before you know it. We'll be talking about New Year's, and before that, and after that, it'll be Arbor Day or whatever. But my point being that that having is approaching, and there's nothing anybody can do to stop it. And when it occurs, if history repeats or even rhymes, hold on to your hats. Because if you think the last several days in Bitcoin have been exciting, wait until you see what happens a year or so after the having. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Bitcoin's current price gives it a market capitalization of $855.3 billion, less than $150 billion shy of that $1 trillion market cap that you know I say is, is you know, that's when, that's when the, the financial media and, and, the, uh, and the mainstream media even will, will, will really notice Bitcoin. There is, you know, Bitcoin's grabbed the headlines in the last couple of days just because of the price pump. But really, when it crosses that one trillion dollar market cap, that's when people really start to think take things seriously. And of course, when it takes its previous all time high back, eclipses it, sets a new all time high, then that's you know that's when we're into the euphoria phase, kind of the when your Uber driver is giving you stock picks or, or crypto advice, or in this case, talking about Bitcoin. Uh, you know, we've reached that euphoria phase, and and then you know, Bitcoin has a history of retracing, and it all begins again. If you are like Peter Schiff, who was out there just a couple of days ago taking victory laps, uh, he tweeted that, you know, that he tweeted in celebration that gold had basically uh, either eclipsed or or was close to eclipsing a new all-time high of around $2,100 an ounce. And then he was on the financial media, I think it was Fox Business, calling Bitcoin fool's gold and mocking Bitcoin because, you know, gold had, had gone up a couple hundred dollars maybe even a, less than $100 an ounce. I think it's down to around $2,020 an ounce right now. So it's even pulled back. Um, even if you don't take into account that Bitcoin's value has been soaring, uh, it's, its value against the US dollar is even pulled back. Now, this is not a gold podcast. You know how I feel if you've listened to this podcast before. Uh, personally, gold has always been a hedge against inflation, and that's all it's really done. You know, the big selling point for gold bugs all these time, or all, the, all throughout history, has been back in Roman times, a one ounce gold coin would buy you a nice toga and a pair of sandals. And then in 1900, one, one, ounce, bit, uh, one ounce gold coin would buy you, you know, a, a nice suit, a nice pair of shoes and a nice belt. And today, $2,100 will get you a fairly nice suit, a pair of shoes and a belt. Not one that's too fancy, of course. You're not going to be getting any Armani suits for a one one ounce gold coin. But even if we're talking, you know, like quality suits, all gold has done is is not lose value as fast as the U.S. dollar. Uh, and of course, when you look at it in terms of Bitcoin, it is trending to zero. And at this point in time, at this very moment, it will currently cost you 21.8 ounces of gold to purchase just one Bitcoin. That is almost three whole one ounce coins more than it would have cost you just last Wednesday to purchase Bitcoin with your gold. Everybody gets Bitcoin at the price they deserve. Apparently for Peter Schiff, it's going to be at least 21.8 ounces of gold, probably more because it's sooner rather than later than we start talking about pounds of gold instead of ounces of gold. You know, maybe it's kind of like a newborn baby. 
when a baby's a year old, you say it's 12 months. And when it's a year and a half, you know, it's 16 months or 18 months, 24 months instead of two years old. But eventually you start measuring a, a child's age in years. So until we're talking multiple pounds, we'll probably still be talking about ounces. But sooner rather than later, sure as the next halving is sneaking up on us, Bitcoin being priced in pounds of gold is coming sooner rather than later. Mark my word. But if you are still on the fence about switching from gold or at least putting some of your gold into Bitcoin, it will currently cost you 21.8 ounces of gold per Bitcoin. For those of you who value your wealth in pizza, one Bitcoin will currently purchase you 2,445 large pepperoni pizzas from Papa John's. That is one pizza every day for more than six and a half years for just one Bitcoin. That is a heck of a lot of pizza. That is about 324 pizzas more than you would have purchased for just one Bitcoin just last Wednesday, for example. Obviously, we're not in all-time high pizza territory yet, but getting there, that is a lot of food security for just one Bitcoin and certainly a lot more value than Laszlo got for his uh, very first pizza purchase on that Bitcoin pizza day so many years ago. Okay, and speaking of Bitcoin activity, the mempool is still completely chock full. Clark Moody's dashboard has been a little bit controversial with certain Bitcoiners because he's showing that there's 53 blocks worth of transactions to clear, but there's certainly more transactions out there in other mempools because I guess the size of his mempool is restricted. You can set the, you know, the, the, the amount of data that you're willing to tie up in your mempool on your node. Uh, and so potentially there are more transactions out there, but we're keeping this consistent because we've been looking at Clark Moody's mempool and or my umbral mempool for the entirety of this podcast. And currently Clark Moody is showing that there are 53 blocks worth of transactions pending in the mempool. And that is slightly down from last week when there were 58 blocks worth of transactions pending. However, uh, the fees have gone through the roof. Clark Moody's fee estimator is saying that if you want to guarantee that your on-chain transaction is mined in the very next block, it's going to cost you a fee of 268 sats per V-byte. And that is up from last week when that would have only cost you 65 sats per V-byte. And I've seen it even higher when I was watching, you know, in the last day or so. However, if you uh, have a little bit of time, if you're, if you're, transaction isn't super crucial and then you can wait a couple blocks. He's still saying that a fee of only 40 sats per V-byte will be mined within a day. That is exactly the same as last week. Also the same as last week, if you have perhaps a week to wait for that transaction, maybe you're just consolidating UTXOs so it really doesn't matter when it shows up at your, at your new address. Maybe you're moving wallets. Either way, someone's not expecting a payment from you and you have up to a week to wait. Uh, he's saying that a fee of just six sats per V-byte will, will clear within a week. Mempool.space is telling a slightly different story. Instead of 268 sats per V-byte, they're saying that a fee of only 83 sats per V-byte will clear in the next block. And that is down significantly from earlier. They were estimating like, I think it was 198 sats per V-byte earlier today when I was looking at Mempool.space. Either way, that still has a US dollar value of $5.08 for a high priority transaction. A freaking bargain if you're trying to send billions of dollars overseas to a country that may or may not have a reliable banking system. Still a lot cheaper than just sending a wire to a first world country from another first world country. Along those lines, however, if you have a little bit longer to wait, 
well, a medium priority transaction, which is in the first couple blocks, they're recommending 78 sats per V-byte. A low priority transaction, recommending a fee of 74 sats per V-byte. So definitely more expensive than Clark Moody's fee estimator. And then their no priority transaction, which is kind of the weaker longer, uh, they're saying should still have a fee of 20 sats per V-byte. And that's $1.23 in US dollar terms. So that's a lot more expensive for a low or no priority transaction than than what we've been seeing, but of course, nowhere near as high as back during the fee wars, the 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 hash wars, uh, or even before the hash wars during the 2017 all-time high. You know, I've mentioned previously that I tried to do a transaction that, um, though it was actually to move from an exchange, and uh, you couldn't set the fee, but they were saying that it would worked out basically to fifty dollars uh, to move off of the the uh off of coinbase to my hardware wallet and that was when bitcoin was only in the teens like i think it was like 16 or seventeen thousand dollars at the time it was not quite the all-time high of about twenty thousand that they set in 2000 no you know december 2017 but around then my point being the price of bitcoin now is double more than double what it was back then and yet a priority you know high priority transaction will still be mined in the next block for maybe five dollars as opposed to 50 so Bitcoin's twice as expensive, but it'll cost you a tenth as much. Uh, and that's still a bargain. Of course, you know, if you want those low fees, you're probably using Lightning Network. Hopefully you're using your own Lightning node. Uh, because as you know, Satoshi, Wallet of Satoshi announced, what, last week or two weeks ago, I guess it was on Thanksgiving, that they were ending services in the United States of America. Uh, and then there were other governments around the world, like Canada was cracking down on nodeless etc. So those custodial wallets are going to become a rare breed. They're they're definitely definitely looking like endangered species territory. If you are running your own node, it's never been easier. For example, you can buy a out of the box plug and play ready node. You can build one yourself for less than $100 with a Raspberry Pi. You don't even need the new Raspberry Pi that's just coming out, you know, a, a second generation Raspberry Pi will more than handle an umbral node. I was running on an Umbral with only uh, four gigabytes of memory. And then I upgraded to an eight gig Umbral because I wanted to run some other apps. One of the cool things about Umbral is they'll even let you host your own Nostra relay and, and all kinds of other cool apps. And I wanted a little bit more memory. So I doubled the memory. But even before I did that, it was running my load, my node and my lightning node, no problem. Uh, so for $100 or so, you can build yourself a lightning node where they, you know, you can you can use lightning transactions from your phone, your iPhone with like Zeus wallet or whatever, that's transacting directly with your node instead of a custodial service like wallet of Satoshi, where uh, they could shut down. Even if they don't rug you, just going away can be horribly inconvenient. But I digress. Back to the statistics. That statistic that you know, the metric that you know has been my favorite statistic, the entirety, the entire history of this podcast, Bitcoin's 24-hour average on-chain transaction rate is up again. Last week, it was down to 4.26 transactions per second. And currently, we're looking at an average of 5.53 on-chain transactions per second. And as I've said, the entire history of this podcast, when that average transaction rate was going up, the price was going up. So that metric still holds. Obviously, that's not any official transaction analysis and not financial advice, period, not endorsed by any economists or Bitcoin gurus that I know of, it's just something that I've observed in doing this podcast for two and a half years, that when I saw that number going up, Bitcoin's price was normally going up. And when the transactions were tapering off, 
it usually resulted in, or usually corresponded to the Bitcoin's price going down. So an interesting metric, even if it's just a, you know, just pure coincidence, a coincidence that's been consistent for two and a half years, no less, but potentially just a coincidence that remains to be seen. Speaking of on-chain activity, we're about three days away from the next Bitcoin mining difficulty adjustment. As you know, about two weeks ago, we had a whopping 5.1% increase in the difficulty it takes to mine a Bitcoin transaction. And that is because Bitcoin adjusts the mining difficulty every 2016 blocks with the goal of having an average block time of one block every 10 minutes. If blocks are coming in too fast, the difficulty is increased. And historically, that's what usually happens because more hash rate has been pouring onto the network for the entirety of Bitcoin's history with a few minor exceptions. For example, uh, during the last cycle when we had the China miner ban and half the network hash power had to come offline while it re relocated to other countries, many of which to Texas, uh, relocated to Texas, for example. So we did see the difficulty decreased. And we've seen the difficulty decreased a handful of times. For example, if they overshoot the difficulty adjustment or, uh, you know, when the hash power shuts off in Texas because of their power sharing agreements with the grid operator. But in general, we've been looking at difficulty increases and that's looking like it's going to be the case in three more days, 437 blocks from now, probably on December 9th. And depending on where you get your data, it's going to be a relatively small increase of anywhere from 0.1% to 0.82%. So uh, not even a full percent increase. And that's a big change from last week when it was looking like maybe we were going to have a decrease of up to minus 3.3%. And that is because last week blocks were averaging 9 minutes and 40 seconds, which is obviously faster than 10 minutes. And today, at this moment, they're averaging exactly 10 minutes. Uh, 10 minutes, zero seconds between blocks currently. So if that holds, uh, we'll see either a very minuscule difficulty increase or no increase at all. Real quick, I want to take a moment to thank those of you listening on your favorite podcasting 2.0 apps, such as Fountain. As you know, podcasting 2.0 apps like Fountain and Breeze allow you to help support your favorite podcasts on the value for value model by either streaming sats on a permanent basis we're sending a boost, which is basically a smash tip that comes as a lightning, uh, a lightning transaction. So you can send Satoshis and a message, a shout out, if you will. We do not have any boosts to read this week, but thank you to those of you, regardless of where you're listening or whether or not you're listening on Fountain. And speaking of our listeners, this is, this is the first time we've seen a change in our geographic distribution of listeners in months. I, don't, I think the last change was all the way back on September 20th. Uh, the rankings have mixed a little bit, and some of the country percentages have changed a tiny bit. The first, the top five, six countries, seven countries, looks like, remain the same. Uh, for example, the majority of listeners are in the United States of America. That is not changed. However, uh, the percentages increased. It ticked up a tiny bit. It had been holding steady at 55% of listeners, but currently 56% of listeners are listening from the United States. Number two remains Argentina, but they ticked down a tiny bit. 11% of our listeners were coming from Argentina. Uh, currently, that's 10% of our listeners. So, muchas gracias to the 10% of you who are listening in Argentina. Number three remains Germany, where still 7% of you are listening from. So, danke schön, mein Freund, in Deutschland. Number four remains Luxembourg, where still 4% of you are listening from. So, danke schön, mein Freund, in Luxembourg, or Morien. 
Canada remains number five, but their listenership has increased 1%. Last week, for the last several months, 2% of you were listening from Canada. And today, 3% of you are listening from Canada. So thank you to those of you up in the frozen white north in America's attic. It is nice and cool here on the space coast of Florida. I'm actually wearing a jacket in the studio because, as I've mentioned multiple times, I have an air conditioning unit in the studio, but I don't have a heater, uh, not even an Antminer S9, uh, which would be cool, but it would be a little too loud to have in a recording studio. And I don't have as much power running into the studio as I would like to have. There isn't 220 volt current into the studio, for example. I guess that's a technicality that could be easily corrected. The big deal is they're just too darn noisy to stick next to a microphone. So thank you to those of you listening to Canada, especially the new 1% of you who are tuning in from Canada. Number six remains Spain, where 2% of you are listening. That remains unchanged. So muchas gracias, amigos, in Spain. Number seven remains Colombia. Still 2% of you are listening from Colombia. That remains unchanged. So muchas gracias, amigos, in Colombia. Number eight remains Sweden. 1% of you are still listening from Sweden. So thank you to those of you listening from Sweden. However, number nine has changed. Number nine used to be Singapore, and out of nowhere, the United Kingdom has surged into the top 10. The ninth most populous location for our listeners is now the United Kingdom, with 1% of you listening from the UK. So thank you to the either the new listeners in the UK or the, I guess, it has to be new listeners because the, you, you moved into the top 10. You weren't even in the top 15. Number 10 is where uh, Singapore guys got bumped down to number 10. So just, just one step down from where they were. So thank you to those of you listening in Singapore. And of course, Venezuela had been number 10, but they've bumped out of the top 10 uh, to the number 11 spot. So thank you to those of you listening in Venezuela. Hopefully uh, it isn't that there's fewer of you listening from Venezuela, but that there's just those those wily Brits listening from the UK that, that shook things up by surging into the top 10. But thank you to all of you listening, regardless of where you're listening from. I'm doing this podcast for you. Not only do I love talking about Bitcoin, uh, I love helping orange pill people. And perhaps, per, perhaps more than that, my inspiration for starting this podcast was, you know, to encourage people in, in times of doubt, uh, particularly during the Bitcoin winters when uh, so, I mean, the podcasts sometimes tend to get more boring and there isn't as much news. The memes kind of go away. And that's when that doubt, even for seasoned multi-cycle OGs, tends to creep in. So knowing you're out there, being able to visualize where you're at, knowing that there, that I have friends in the Bitcoin space all over the world who are tuned in to this conversation, uh, makes it all worth it. So thank you, one and all, uh, wherever you may be tonight. All right. Back to the news. As I mentioned, the big rumor was that perhaps uh, up, up until today, the, the news was, or the, the idea was the reason the price of Bitcoin is pumping was because the, the potential of the Bitcoin ETF being approved, the odds on that were increasing. And so the, the Bitcoin ETFs were starting to get priced in. But then it broke that perhaps the country of Qatar is going to invest a large portion or maybe even all of its sovereign wealth fund uh, into Bitcoin. With headlines such as crypto bulls claim Qatar is putting 500 billion on Bitcoin, more than the sovereign fund's assets. That's from the deep dive. MSN reported, where there is smoke, there is fire. Qatar investment in crypto with El Salvador. And then uh, Crypto News says Qatar's sovereign wealth fund dives into Bitcoin with potential $500 billion investment. Confirm news or just rumors? Question mark. So 
Uh, MSN is mainstream media, but most of the headlines out there are on Bitcoin or crypto websites, and none of them really offer any hard evidence. I think the closest evidence anybody's putting forward was a tweet by Max Kaiser. In fact, CryptoNews.com two days ago put out uh, well-known Bitcoin maximalist Max Kaiser tweeted on X late on Sunday that Cutter could be a big bullish driver for the world's largest cryptocurrency. So uh, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not true. I guess the discussions have said that not only are they have they decided that they're doing so, but perhaps they've even been uh, buying uh, steadily accumulating Bitcoin already. And another headline that came out right before all of this breaks on Yahoo Finance, for example, kind of jibes with, you know, a potential big shakeup in Cutter's Sovereign Wealth Fund. With Yahoo Finance reporting two days ago, Cutter's Wealth Fund is selling almost half its shares in Barclays. Cutter's Wealth Fund is offloading almost half its shares in Barclays PLC, a surprise move from one of the UK bank's long-standing backers that comes as the lender's executives maul a strategic overhaul. So uh, that is perhaps a coincidence, but it could be if they really are moving into Bitcoin, offloading banking stocks uh, to free up liquidity to purchase Bitcoin could be, could be evidence that that is perhaps happening. I guess we won't know until we know for sure. Usually when companies or countries or even large individuals or whales are purchasing Bitcoin, they want to keep it quiet because they don't want to pump the price because, you know, if they've got $500 billion to invest in Bitcoin, they can get a lot more Bitcoin when it's only 30,000 than they can if it pumps up to 50 or 60,000 on the news. Also in the news, a lot of scuttlebutt today because everyone's favorite evil villain, Jamie Dimon, was testifying before the Senate Banking Committee and absolutely slaughtering uh, Bitcoin in its wake, or at least he thinks he is, which is really, really funny considering how corrupt Chase and JP Morgan are. Uh, there are stats out there that people have been posting on Twitter to counter what Jamie Dimon says, basically pointing out that of all the banks in the world, they're the, they are the second most cited, second most fined bank in existence, having paid out billions of dollars in fines for over 400 uh, breaches of the law for money laundering, manipulating markets, et cetera. So when Jamie Dimon calls Bitcoiners criminals, uh, that's totally projection. Business Insider reports, Jamie Dimon says he's deeply opposed to crypto and the government should close it down. Quoting him as saying, I've always been deeply opposed to crypto, Bitcoin, etc." Jamie Dimon said during a congressional hearing. It's really funny because Jamie Dimon usually doesn't utter the word Bitcoin when people are detractors of Bitcoin, they usually try and lump it in with crypto. They just say crypto all the time. Uh, and he did. He said crypto, but then said Bitcoin, etc. CNBC reports, Jamie Dimon lashes out against crypto. If I was the government, I'd close it down. So that seems to be the common mantra uh, that he said that he wants to see Bitcoin shut down. If he were in charge, that's what he would do. Yahoo Finance also basically has the same headline, Jamie Dimon blasts crypto, tells the Senate he would close it down, even as JP Morgan pushes forward with blockchain payments. So Yahoo Finance is calling him out for their hypocrisy just a little bit. Uh, he went on to say when he was being questioned by Elizabeth Warren, another evil villain in the Bitcoin space, I've always been deeply opposed to, opposed to crypto, Bitcoin, etc. cetera, uh, blah, 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 adding that the only true use case for it is criminals, drug traffickers, money laundering, tax avoidance. So lobbying the uh, Senate Banking Committee to crack down on Bitcoin because it's only used for criminals, terrorists, drug traffickers, money launderers, and tax cheats like the people at J.P. Morgan. 
I really don't give two two cents, two sats, or a rat's patootie what Jamie Dimon says because it doesn't matter how hard Jamie Dimon and Elizabeth Warren or anyone in the United States government try to hate on Bitcoin. Uh, you know they know they can't stop Bitcoin, and that's frankly why they haven't. If they thought they could have shut down Bitcoin, they would have. They're not dumb enough to think they they can stop it. I've always said the entirety of this podcast that we're already in and then they fight you stage. And the U.S. government's version of then they fight you is just harassment. Just like with Operation Choke Point or now Operation Choke Point 2.0, where they're trying to cut off the fiat on ramps by saying banks can't you know deal with crypto. If they do, they have you know more onerous, burdensome regulation that they have to comply with. You know by imposing really stringent capital gains requirements uh, on Bitcoin that they don't oppose on other currencies, for example. If you are trading currencies for a job or you make a ton of money, then yeah, you have to pay capital gains on on, on any, any profits you make from trading currencies. But there's a de minimis, de minimis exemption, which means if you go to England you know, for the holidays and you exchange your dollars to pounds and you come back and you change the money you have back into dollars and the price between the exchange rate between the pound and the dollar changes to where maybe $20 is now $20.50. You don't have to file a capital gains, you know, trans a tax report that you don't have to pay capital gains taxes on that 20 cents. Uh, I believe the diminished exemption on currency is like $500 in capital gains. So any transaction that you don't profit more than 500 bucks, the government just doesn't care. That's de minimis. Uh, they do not give that exception to Bitcoin. So if you buy a dollar's worth of Bitcoin and then you go to Starbucks and buy a dollar's worth of, I guess it'd be water because you can't buy a coffee at Starbucks for a dollar, but for the for the purposes of simplicity, let's say you go buy a dollar's worth of coffee at Starbucks, but now that Bitcoin's worth a dollar fifty. Well, you have to report that fifty cents in capital gains and pay taxes on it. And they're doing that because they want to make Bitcoin as difficult as possible to use. I personally think there's a decent chance now that this Bitcoin ETF is going to be approved because they don't have a problem with Bitcoin per se, as long as it's just an asset class that they can tax that. Their friends on Wall Street that Jamie Dimon can turn a profit on. They just don't want you using it. They want you know you to be able to maybe invest in it as long as you do it through a custodian. They certainly don't want you using it as a currency, and they certainly don't want you using it uh, to avoid uh, to to basically escape the inflation that is being thrust on us with this ever never ending money printing money printer continuously going burr. But I digress. Earlier I mentioned, is this time different? Is that pump to $44,000 this early before the halving any different than previously? And if you look back at the previous halving cycle, you know, the, the drivers for why Bitcoin is pumping may be different, but the pump isn't necessarily different. I don't have to remind anyone that the 2020 halving cycle kicked off while the world was in lockdown and amidst a government-mandated economic collapse. But let's look a little later into the cycle as the bull run really began to kick off. And if you remember... In early 2021, we had a new all-time high. We had an all-time high in the end of 2020, where on the 20th of December, Bitcoin broke 20,000, then the 21st, it broke 21, etc. But Bitcoin really soared in February of 2021, and that was in relationship to Elon Musk tweeting about Tesla accepting Bitcoin as payment, and that they had purchased Bitcoin, and Elon Musk had purchased Bitcoin. And Bitcoin pumped from around $37,000 all the way up to more than $64,000. And then, of course, Elon backtracked because he was getting slaughtered by the ESG activists, uh, hammering him about, you know, that 
Tesla and Elon Musk were going to help boil the oceans because Bitcoin was using all the electricity in the world, etc. And so Elon backtracked, he caved, he gave in, said Tesla will no longer accept Bitcoin over these climate change concerns, the shenanigans, etc. And Bitcoin immediately dropped 10% in value. And of course, so did Tesla's share value because, uh, you know, the average person realizes that Bitcoin is going to go up and to the right forever. Um, the average person isn't, isn't, a, isn't a, a social justice warrior, an ESG Nazi. Uh, but so it was kind of funny to see Tesla take a, take a hit in its value as well. But nonetheless, Bitcoin dropped. I mean, it dropped significantly down into the $30,000 range. It was like a 50% retracement until later in the year when we had that second new all-time high in, in the fall of 2021 when Bitcoin hit $69,000 before retracing and, and the Bitcoin winter began. My point being, uh, this pump this early before the halving is not necessarily different. I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens. Um, if anything, I think the last cycle with the double top was a little bit different. There were there were all kinds of weird things about the last cycle. We had the Elon fake out that we just talked about. We had the effects of the you know the lockdowns and then the supply chain disruptions. If you remember the Evergrande boat that turned sideways and blocked the Suez Canal, it was just one thing after another. People talk about how this will be the first time we've had a bull run, having bull run where the where the world is looking at going into a recession. I'm like. Uh, I, most if you, most people who really know what they're talking about know they're fudging the numbers, and we've been in a recession for quite a while, and we were flattered in a depression for a few months when 50% of the businesses in the United States were told that they were not essential and they had to close down. So if anything else, I think the 2020 having cycle is probably the outlier. Only time will tell. Some other weird things that happened during the 2020 having cycle, if you remember, we had a whole slew of scam debacles affect the price of Bitcoin. For example, back in May of uh, 2022, we had the Terra Luna debacle. And at that point in time, Bitcoin was hovering around $30,000. And that when we had the Terra Luna collapse, that tanked the price of Bitcoin into the 20s. And then after that, we had the FTX collapse in November. And that started with that Coindesk article where they, they, they spilled the beans on Alameda Research saying that their balance sheet was largely just FTX tokens, that FTX is printing out of thin air so that they basically were insolvent. Less than, less than two weeks later, FTX, Alameda Research, and 100 affiliated corporations all filed for bankruptcy. And that caused the price of Bitcoin to tank all the way down to $17,034 on the day that the Bitcoin that the bankruptcy was announced. Of course, November 28th, shortly thereafter, BlockFi filed for bankruptcy because they had exposure. They had money that they had loaned uh, Alameda or FTX or whatever. But either way, the collapse of FTX caused BlockFi to, to collapse. That drove the price of Bitcoin down below $16,000. And of course, the cycle low was shortly thereafter or around that time at about $15,682. So... There were a lot of black swans in the last having cycle, everywhere from the lockdown to, you know, three big crypto collapses uh, or more, actually, uh, that just gutted the price of Bitcoin, drove it down lower than it probably would have ever gone. For example, prior to the FTX collapse, once Bitcoin set a new all time high, it never dropped down below the previous all time high from the previous cycle. And when Bitcoin broke below $20,000 as a result of the FTX collapse, 
That's the first time we ever saw that happen. So there's an outlier for you in and of itself. But what does a normal halving cycle look like? Well, we've only had a couple halvings. We've only had three, basically. Um, and what has happened each of those times is that about six to six months to a year after the halving, Bitcoin sets a new all-time high. Uh, and then we have uh, its ultimate explosive all-time high, maybe 18 months or so after the halving. And then Bitcoin traditionally collapses in value as much as 80% at one time in one of the halvings. And then we enter the Bitcoin winter until the next halving. Basically, we have a year or two year long crab market where Bitcoin really doesn't do a whole lot. Maybe it has a few run ups, but and a few and a few dips. But basically, if you it, it, it's it basically just goes sideways, which is why they call it a crab market. At the 2012 halving, uh, Bitcoin, for example, on halving day was valued at about twelve dollars and thirty five cents, and then it went on to set an all time high of one thousand one hundred and thirty two dollars before plummeting back down to around four hundred dollars. At the 2016 halving, on halving day, Bitcoin was valued at 650 US dollars. And of course, as we just mentioned, it exploded in value all the way up to 20,000. That's basically 30x from halving day to the all-time high. Uh, in 2012, basically, it was a 91x. Then the 2020 halving, Bitcoin on halving day was $8,821. And of course, it exploded in value to 69,000, which was about an 8x. And looking at those numbers gives credence to those who believe in the concept of diminishing returns. And their argument is that because the halving is cutting the amount of Bitcoin in half, but but the number of Bitcoin going from 50 to 25 is more significant than going from 25 to 12 or 12 and a half to 6.25. And the next halving will be going from 6.25 to 3.12. We're only talking three Bitcoin difference as opposed to 25 Bitcoin difference, that that will have less of a supply shock. And therefore the, the explosive returns will be a little a little lower. I don't think we have enough data to believe that's the case. In fact, I think that if you just look at the last cycle, the 2020 having, you could throw that data out completely because we had that, that early pump from the Elon pump, and then we had the crash. Then of course, in the middle, we had the China miner ban, which knocked the Bitcoin price down even further. And then we had the, you know, the ultimate run up to 69,000, which if you look at a normal trajectory of a normal having cycle, you know, we would have already been well past the all-time blow-off top and been working our way back down by the time that happened. So I, until see evidence to prove otherwise, or maybe another cycle or two worth of data minimum, think that 2020 was probably the outlier. But let's say, for example, it wasn't, and that the concept of diminishing returns is real, and that the returns basically get cut into a third every halving. So we went from 91 to 30 to 8 which would mean that basically we'd be talking about a 2.6x increase in the 2020 or after of the 2024 halving cycle, which would be, um, which would put Bitcoin in the neighborhood of, I think of $179,000, uh, which would be fantastic by the way. That's nothing to, that's nothing to scoff at, but, uh, we won't know. And this is, this is all crystal ball stuff. If you're listening to any other podcast out there and they're telling you what the price of Bitcoin is going to be, on having day even, let alone the new all-time high and then what, the, what Bitcoin's going to crash to, they, they don't know. Nobody can know this. There are so many things that can affect that. Personally, I think if we are seeing diminishing returns, I don't think it has anything to do with the supply shock because even though there's a big difference between six Bitcoin and three Bitcoin, you know, that's a three Bitcoin difference as opposed to 50 to 25 being a 25 Bitcoin difference. Well, those 25 Bitcoin were only worth $12 a piece. 
And these three Bitcoin are worth currently $40,000 a piece. So from a US dollar standpoint, that is a much, much more significant supply shock than the 25 Bitcoin at $12 a piece. So again, I think what affected the price of Bitcoin last time were A, we shot too early with the with the with the pump, the Elon and the Tesla pump. Then we had the the concentrated concerted FUD by China. They, you know, they've banned Bitcoin so many times in China, and they always seem to do it opportunistically when they think it can hurt Bitcoin the most. And banning mining was certainly a big, a big blow to the having cycle. And of course, don't forget, we were still in the middle of that thing that you're still not allowed to talk about, apparently, because I just saw that the Bitcoin Matrix podcast had an episode pulled because they were talking about this thing and its effects. And so uh, we'll still tiptoe around that because we don't live in a free country and uh, podcasting is not necessarily free speech, apparently, even though technically freedom of the press would cover podcasting, in my humble opinion. But you know what I'm talking about. There was a lot going on in 2020. And the 2020 having cycle was certainly affected by a lot of black swan events that nobody could see coming. And that the chances of happening again ever in your lifetime are pretty darn slim. Definitely slim to happen two havings in a row. All right. So that is all the news I wanted to talk about. And quite frankly, uh, I've been talking for more than a half an hour already, just going over the news that you probably uh, been saturated with all day. So let's get on to the meat of the subject. The reason why we're here, because today is not only Wednesday, it is DCA Wednesday as all Wednesdays are for us. And if you're just joining us and you don't know what DCA is, DCA is short for dollar cost averaging and dollar cost averaging is an investment strategy where you invest your money in equal portions at regular intervals, regardless of price. For example, this is going to be our 124th stack. We started stacking, uh, our regular interval was, was weekly, every Wednesday. We started on Wednesday, July 28th, 2021, and so far we've stacked 123 times. Our regular interval being weekly, our equal portion being $20. I chose $20 because I wanted to do an amount, I wanted to stack a, an amount of fiat that any of you listening to, regardless of what your circumstances are, should be able to reasonably afford. Obviously, investing, Bitcoin, finances in general are always a you-do-you situation. So there are going to be people that maybe $20 is too much to come up with this week, especially with the, you know, the price of food and everything going through the roof. But there's also some of you that have probably never invested less than a thousand or 10,000 or a million dollars. Maybe there's a Michael Saylor out there listening. Uh, so what's important, I swallowed something that's I have no idea what it is, but if you hear me choking here, <clears throat> pardon me, hopefully I clear that up. Otherwise, I'm going to have to hit the pause button real quick, which I think I'm going to do. All right. Sorry for that interruption. Hopefully I got that taken care of. I have no idea what happened, but something got wedged in the back of my throat. My eyes are pouring water. I was losing my voice and I was trying not to cough in the microphone. So where was I? Where I was was, as usual, this is not investment advice make your own decisions, do your own research, pick an amount that you feel comfortable investing and a, an interval that you feel comfortable with. The point is the concept of DCA is that uh, you invest the same amount consistently over time with the idea that time in the markets beats timing the markets. And 
if you've been following Bitcoin for even one cycle now, you know that Bitcoin tends to make huge moves in either direction, and it does it suddenly and perhaps most importantly, unpredictably. And everyone who tries to time the market, even professional traders, seem to get wrecked when they try and trade Bitcoin. So we've been dollar cost averaging. And I think we've proven that our strategy has been a success because when we did our very first purchase, Bitcoin was valued at $39,716. So even if we had YOLO'd in at $39,716, we would be in the green. But for the majority of this podcast, we were not. And um, that $39,716 would have gotten us a stack of just over 6 million sats. And of course, by DCAing, we've purchased a stack of almost 8.5 million sats, 8,453,056 sats. Uh, to be specific. But again, this is an ongoing experiment. And to continue the experiment, once again, we're going to purchase our $20 of the Bitcoin using Cash App. I'm still a little sore about Cash App charging a spread now in addition to their fee. But, you know, as I've always said, they don't charge a fee to move my Bitcoin from their from their custody to my hardware wallet. And especially with mining fees as high as they are right now, that more than makes up for the spread and the fee even though it's still really annoying. I have $20 in my Cash App already, but the other cool thing about Cash App is if I didn't, they let me add that money, spend that money, and send that money to my hardware wallet, send that Bitcoin to my hardware wallet, all instantly. Whereas, for example, other exchanges like Coinbase either put a hold on letting you use your money to purchase Bitcoin until that cash is settled in your account, or they'll let you purchase the Bitcoin, but they won't let you transfer it out for a week or 15 days in some cases. Cash App doesn't do that. So they're kind of forgiven for that fee and that spread, at least for the time being, since mining fees more than make up for what we're going to pay for in fees uh, by being able to transfer that Bitcoin out to my hardware wallet for free. So I've got my $20 already in Cash App, tapping Bitcoin, tapping buy, entering $20, and this, okay, so here's what's annoying. Currently, Bitcoin is valued at $43,800, and they're going to charge me a base rate, a, uh, a rate of $44,000, so $44,002, so $202 spread over what they're showing is the current market rate of Bitcoin, and they're going to charge me a 45-cent fee. Nonetheless, I'm hitting buy, tap and confirm, and boom, just like that, we purchased another 44,411 sats. That is kind of depressing. While it's fun to see the value of your stack go up in fiat terms, watching the number of sats we added to that stack go down hurts. Last week, for example, we added 51,000 sats. Today, we just got 44,000 sats. Back in October, we were averaging 73,000 sats. So unfortunately, as the U.S. dollar value of your stack goes up, the number of sats you're going to get for your fiat is going to go down. And including that spread and that fee, we purchased it. Well, we, we purchased it at an effective price of $45,033.89. So boy, that spread and that fee, uh, that, 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 does, that does make a difference because theoretically, we should have purchased at uh, $43,800 if we were purchasing at fair market value. And now we just stack Bitcoin that's valued at what almost two thousand dollars, well fifteen hundred dollars less than more than what the fair market value of Bitcoin is, and perhaps as importantly, that also increased our total overall average cost basis by eighty three dollars and twenty seven cents. Our average purchase price now is up to twenty nine thousand one hundred eighty five dollars and seventeen cents. 
still significantly less than the current value of Bitcoin. And when Bitcoin does set a new all-time high, uh, people are going to be calling us lucky for having purchased at $29,185 on average. Perhaps most important of all, that 44,411 sats has increased our stash to 8,497,467 sats. And if Bitcoin goes to the moon one day, if Bitcoin hits, well, if Bitcoin just takes 100,000, you know, just retakes its all-time high and, and breaks $100,000, uh, that stack of Bitcoin would be worth $8,497.46. And if Bitcoin goes all the way to the moon, if that moon is $1 million, that stash should be worth $84,974.67. And that's pretty impressive considering we've just been putting away 20 US dollars every Wednesday. Before we wrap this up, I want to ask a couple favors from you. First of all, if you're not already following us on Twitter, please go ahead and give us a follow on Twitter or X. We are at BTC Bulletin Pod on Twitter, at BTC Bulletin Pod. And if you're already following us on Twitter, go ahead and send me a DM. Let me know what you think about this podcast. What have you been enjoying about this podcast? What have you maybe not been enjoying about this podcast? Anything you'd like to hear me talk about in the future, maybe do an interview with somebody specific you have in mind or a tutorial that maybe you'd like me to do for you. If you don't use Twitter or X, and I can hardly blame you because it's been kind of controversial recently, you can always send me an email. My email is bitcoinbulletin at protonmail.com. That's bitcoinbulletin at protonmail.com. But more importantly, regardless of where you're listening, whatever platform you're listening on, if you would kindly rate or review this podcast, obviously a five-star review would be phenomenal, but every review, every download, every point of data that these podcast providers, these podcast apps accumulate uh, helps, helps feed that algorithm monster. It helps promote this podcast. It helps it, you know, helps it bump it up higher in, in, in the recommendations so that maybe we can help orange pill more people. You can spread the message to people that haven't even heard about this podcast before. And of course, uh, the, the more, the more, the more uh, Twitter subscribers, the more X followers we get, the same thing. By subscribing to us on Twitter, you'll help more people be exposed to this podcast and our tweets as well. So uh, if you would do that, that would be much appreciated. Either way, don't forget to join us next Wednesday and every Wednesday while we grow that stack together. And until that time... Keep on stacking those sats, you sexy sat stackers. <laughs>